So we are going to get underway by watching a short video in a moment. But just before we do it, hands up here, anybody that has ever watched The Great British Bake Off? Good. This clip is from a celebrity special with one of my favorite comedians in it. Let's watch and see how a comedian gets on baking. Never baked before, let alone competitively, let alone on Bake Off. It's the worst idea anyone's ever had. Texture of your flapjack is on perfect. the top. It looks a bit wet. Oh, yeah, that's because it's not baked yet. <laughs> ah. I can explain this to you. Before it goes in the oven, it's often a lot soggier. Right, OK. Ah. Is the texture OK? Good joke. Do you want to shake my hand now or later? Up to you. You can shake it now to save yourself the bother. Or you can shake it later on and eat humble pie as well as these flapjacks. Bakers, you have half an hour. Right, I wish I were dead. I'm not taking that out of the oven. It's like a soup. Come on, be magically done. The mixture is still liquid. This is meant to be encouraging people at home to get involved in bake for charity. It's the worst experience of my life. This is so bad. Uh, can you tell us about your flapjack, please? Started making it, had a breakdown. What bon appetit. <laughs> <laughs> bit of a small bit. Yeah. Up to him. The reason why I cut the end bit is because actually where it's browned and caramelised with the butter, it's absolutely it's gorgeous. Just, isn't yeah, it, it is. Great flavour, not very well executed. Story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, even if bacon goes badly, it's a bit of fun. It's not. No, not disappointed. Scarred. Uh, it does make me, it does make me chuckle. Um, what you don't know, uh, um, one of my daughters actually told me, is that his sister actually owns a bakery shop and makes amazing flapjacks, apparently, but obviously doesn't rub off on him. I wonder if you noticed the word that James Acaster said at the, at the end of that. I mean, obviously, he's trying to be funny because he's, he's a great comedian, but he said the word scarred. I'm scarred. He went into this experience ill-prepared or under-prepared, and it didn't go quite how he ideally would have liked. If you watch that whole episode, he does redeem himself a little bit later on. But he's obviously a little bit disappointed with how things have gone. I'm sure all of us can think of experiences that we've had in our lives, where perhaps we've gone into something quite excited and think everything's going okay, only for events to take fold and suddenly you're a bit nervous about what's happening and it ends up being a total disaster. Things that can scar you in life. I've shared before, but I can think of things in my life that have taken me ages to get over words that uh, teachers said to me when I was just 10 years old and other events in life that scar you, that shape you, either in a good or in this case, a bad way. If that was a serious show, I mean, how encouraged do you think James would be, if that's really what he felt, to ever start cooking again? 
you'd probably be quite reluctant and weary about it. Failures happen in life. Struggles come. Things do not turn out as expected. Sometimes they can be a total shock. I just kind of take the seriousness up a notch. I ended up doing a funeral last Monday for a family in my church that just over five weeks ago had police knocking on their door delivering news about their daughter that they never wanted to hear. Sometimes stuff just happens that struggles come and they can scar us. The struggle is real. Is a phrase that my teenage daughters use sometimes with certain things. Struggle is real in all of our lives. But what do we do when struggle comes as Christians, as followers of God? Well, I think there's a few things we're called to do, but there's also some things we need to, to know as well. And the first thing, as we sort of delve into this passage, I want us to know is that, that God knows struggles happen in this life. God knows the struggles are real. Let me read verse 12 again from the reading that Grace read to us a few minutes ago. Paul writes this at the end of this letter. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, I'm not going to unpack all of what those different struggles are against, but what Paul is highlighting and saying is that in our lives, as we go through it, there are going to be battles and struggles that come our way. There are going to be words that are going to be spoken to us. There are going to be events that happen that are going to shake us and impact us that we might have to, well, not might have to, we will have to battle against. Sometimes there'll be big things, but sometimes there might just be stuff that happens in our day to day that taken on their own aren't big, but can build up to be big things over times, over time. The way that people treat you or speak to you in certain circumstances at school or at work or maybe even in your family. God knows that struggles will happen. But in this passage, which is because of, there's a few more verses after this, but pretty much the last verses in this whole book of a street of Ephesians. Paul gives us some hope and he makes us know that we don't face struggle alone. Paul says in this in those verses he told us to stand firm. Stand firm he says it three times. Take your stand. Take your stand you will be able to stand. It's an encouragement for Paul that even when all the battles and struggles that we face come our way, Paul says we're equipped to be able to stand. We don't go through it alone. 
But I want to, before I go in to see what Paul says we are equipped with, I just want to take a, a slight step back from that question and just sort of ask again, actually, why do we face struggles? Because often, and I've heard it quite a few times, people struggle with their relationship with God or to believe in God because they face struggles. Why is that? Why is that? Well, we're going to go on to this. We've got some beautiful, I do apologize. This is, um, can we have the next slide up, Dom? This is, um, this is me with some beautiful pictures in, in a little, that I created in PowerPoint. So I apologize if they're not up to the normal um, six branding standards. But um, this is it. I, I think, um, so this is a picture of um, sort of a, a, an understanding that most of us have of the Christian faith. And it's kind of like this. We, we kind of, there, there's a God and there's, and there's me or you or any single one of us. And dependent on what we believe about God and Jesus, when we die, we either go to heaven or we go to hell. And that's kind of a, a basic understanding that a lot of people have a, a, about the Christian faith. And there's, it's not wrong, but it's slightly incomplete. And the problem is if, if we just think like that, Actually, what happens is when we, when we put our faith in God, we either think um, God should protect us from struggles because we're kind of in, in, in heaven already. And so if struggles come our way, it means God must not be real. I've oversimplified the argument a little bit, but that's kind of what a lot of people think, basically. Or, actually, I believe in God, so when I die, I'm going to heaven, so it's okay. So actually... Therefore, it doesn't matter how I live now. I can just go about and do whatever I want because my eternal salvation is sure. Like I said, nothing actually sort of wrong with that. You know, if we do believe in Jesus, we do believe we're going to be in his kingdom in heaven. That is what the Bible promises us. But it's actually not the full picture of what the biblical understanding of heaven and earth look like. So the Bible gives us, can we go to the next slide, this wonderful picture of the kingdom of heaven. And it says wonderful things about it, like it's a place where justice reigns. It's a place where love is complete, where you are known to be loved, and there's love in every single relationship, not just between God and you, but between all people. It's a place where there is only life, where we have full life, where there is total freedom, freedom to live how we were made to live under God, where there is peace. There is no amnesty or breakdown in relationships, again, between God and his people and, and all the people that are there. It's a place of great blessing where the words that are spoken are not words that will cut you down and hurt you, but build you up. Truthful, grace-filled, merciful words. There's so many more things that, that could be said about, about it. That's what the Bible picture of heaven is like. That in the Bible is compared to a little bit what earth is like. Can we have the next slide? Earth is kind of the opposite of that. Instead of justice, we have evil happening. 
You know, we just need to look around the world and see some of the evil that's going on with, uh, just look at the news, the murdering that's going on in conflicts by individuals as well. Stabbings, hurt. There's hatred going on. Again, we just look around it in the big picture, but we also probably experience that in our own lives as well, in small scale. There are, if we're honest with ourselves, words that we have said out of hate or anger to people around us at times that have cut people down. There is death that happens. There is slavery. And I'm not just talking about people being kept as slaves, but even us being um, under the control of things. Things that are supposed to help us that perhaps we can become addicted to. Mobile phones. There's plenty more. There's loads of violence happening in the world. There's probably violence that many of us has experienced in our lives as well. There's cursing, words that don't build you up, but cut you down, that help, that sort of mar, scar you going back to the start. And so we have these, these two things that are sort of uh, pictures that Paul has, has builds up in lots of his letters, but it's also sort of expanding on what Jesus was saying in his, you've got this kingdom of heaven and this kingdom of earth. And and what Paul actually says is his kingdom of heaven and kingdom of earth, at the moment that we are living in, looks something like this, which is the next picture. Some of you might have heard this of the now and the not yet. What, what Paul um, is explaining and says in lots of his letters, and particularly in Ephesians, is this, is that through the death and the resurrection of Christ, you become members of the kingdom of heaven. If you were here when I kicked off the series, um, I think Steve mentioned this a few, a, few, a few weeks ago as well. I asked this question, hands up if you think you are holy. And only about four people put their hands up. And I went through the, the, next, the rest of the talk trying to convince you that in Christ you are holy. Paul says that actually in the death and resurrection of Christ, you become members of the kingdom of heaven. Because in Christ, you receive justice. You know you are loved. You receive life. You receive freedom. You receive peace. You receive blessing. You receive those things not when you die, but the moment you believe in Jesus, in his death and his resurrection. Those blessings become yours now. They become your main identity. But what Paul also points out, and what Jesus also points out, is the earth yet has not faded away. I've got my um, sister's married to uh, another, well, he, he's ordained, but he's not currently a vicar, but he was, he was at the time, and um, he's quite a, a bright chap. And I told, tells this story from um, his son uh, about how he deeply embarrassed him at a football meeting, because they were having a discussion at this football meeting uh, because the team had not done very well. And it was, it was uh, under 10s football. And the coach said, well, I just want them to enjoy it, and I don't mind if they win. So it's a choice, really, between whether you want your children to enjoy football or whether you want them to win. And then 
uh, Gavin, who is his name, I'm sure he won't mind me telling me this story, I haven't checked it with him, but I'm sure he won't mind, embraced his son by using a very Christian term. He said, that's a false dichotomy. So if you don't know what one of them is, is when you get given an either or option, and it's not either or. It's like saying, you know, if your parent says to you, you can have that biscuit or that chocolate bar. The reality is you could actually have both of them. <laughs> it's a false dichotomy. You don't have to have one or you could have both of them. And this is what Paul is saying in here. It's actually we're living in a time when you're not either in the kingdom of heaven or in the kingdom of earth. Both are happening. You, I, he talks about himself being an ambassador. Your identity becomes in Christ and you are those things, but you're living still in a kingdom of earth where there are those things. And so there is this battle and there is this struggle going on. What we need to remember, I'm going to use a silly analogy here, is that the kingdom of heaven has won. It's a bit like a redundant football match happening towards the, I knew I'd get football in this somehow, at the end of a football season. Say in the Premier League, you've got, let's just pick Man's, um, well, let's pick Arsenal because they're top of the league. Arsenal have won like all their games so far. And they say there's like six games left in the season. But they're 20 points ahead of the second team. No matter what happens, Arsenal have won the Premier League. Nobody can catch them. They have the victory. That's a little bit of a silly analogy, but that kind of gets the idea behind. The kingdom of heaven has won, but there are still battles and struggles going on. And so as we go back into this, this question, of, uh, that's why struggles happen. That's why Jesus promised us, says, you will have struggles. You will have battles. But take heart, he says, for I have overcome the world. So in Jesus, we are on the winning side. But in these battles and these struggles that we face, Paul says there is something we can do. So what can we do? We can know we are equipped to win. And we can do that by putting on and taking on, taking up the armor of God. He mentions quite a few things, and I'm not going to go through them all in great detail. He tells us that we've got the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with the truth of the gospel, the, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. He's actually using imagery. Can we have the next slide up, please, Dom? He's actually using imagery of the Roman uh, soldiers there, which was the like elite fighting force of the time. They were people that were known to win battles. He was writing to the Roman world. Ephesians was a part of the world that was under Roman control. They were the force that everybody feared, that were winning all the battles, which is probably why Paul chose that imagery. But what we see with, with, with all this, with all this armor that the Roman soldiers had, it's all sort of centered around believing in the truths and the promises of God, knowing them, holding them in your heart, knowing them with your head, having your identity shaped by them, 
trusting in the promises using the shield, even if circumstances are really hard and really difficult. And what's sometimes lost is actually Roman soldiers didn't walk about on their own. They walked around in units. Their shields, for example, were designed so that they could lock together side by side, but also on top of one another with other soldiers' shields as well. When Paul is doing this, he's not thinking individualistically. We've just got to go and fight all the battles on our own. But actually, we need to be part of a community, a unit working together, fighting for God. I don't like using the word fighting because sometimes it just seems like quite an aggressive term. And we're not supposed to be people that are aggressive. We're supposed to be people of the kingdom of God. So when we talk about the sword of the spirit, we're talking about words, God's words, that bring his truth, that bring his freedom, that bring his life and love and light into situations and words. And God is calling us to be people that are confident, to take God's words, to trust it, to live by it, to know it in our heart and in our minds that our words might speak them with shoes of peace wherever we may find ourselves, whatever situation comes our way, is thrown away, or wherever we walk. God is saying, trust in him, trust in his words. And I think as well, Paul says not just to put on, not just to take this armor with you, but to put it on, take it up. Paul expects from us some action in this. We don't get to know God's words. We don't get to understand the truth and deepen our relationship with him by accident. It has to be a deliberate wearing, a deliberate choosing, a, a putting on, a, a, a commitment to spend time in God's words, a commitment to get to know him and who he is day by day, moment by moment, to get in training for this elite unit, this kingdom that we're in that is like no other kingdom that there is. So as I finish, I want to go back to where I started and ask the question, what are you struggling with right now? Where do you need to know God's words and God's truth in that struggle? And perhaps a step further, where do you need to speak out God's word by his spirit? Where do you need to take God's love, God's truth, God's justice into this world or in the situation that you find yourself in? Where do you need to put up your shield? What burden do you need to come alongside somebody with so that they can lock their shield next to yours? God wants you to take it up and put it on for you and for your neighbor around you. Let me pray.
just in a few moments of quiet, maybe just take up or think of that, whatever it is you're struggling with at the moment. Maybe it's not you, maybe it's somebody around you, but you need to picture that. Think about that. And then maybe there's a particular piece of God's armor that you just think you need right now. Maybe it's the the guarding of your heart, the breastplate that guards your heart from lies that people are saying about you. Maybe it's the helmet of salvation. You need to know in your mind you are loved and saved because you've put your trust in Christ. Maybe it's shoes of peace because God is calling you to go into a place and a situation bringing his good news, his truth and his light in there. Maybe you need to pick up the shield of faith. Just trust in God even though things seem dark. You feel like you're under attack at the moment. Or maybe there's a situation, a relationship where you need the sword of the Spirit. You need God's wisdom with good, life-giving words to say to somebody that is struggling, that is hurt, that is in darkness. Whatever it is, visualize picking it up and taking it with you now as I pray. Lord, we thank you that you equip us with everything we need to win the battles we face. Thank you that you protect us with your armor, God. Give us the courage to take it wherever we go. That we may know it in our hearts and in our minds at all times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.